John tells us in his epistle that we love because he first loved us. As a result of God's love for us, we are responding in love to God and we ought to respond with love and with praise and with adoration. Those who know the forgiveness of sin come before God with great sense of gratitude and a readiness to extol the love of God. Last week we looked at Psalm 117 and noted the call to praise the Lord and the great reason, His love and His faithfulness. Psalm 118 really follows on from that and it speaks more and more about the love of God. The love that the psalmist had experienced the love that was very evident in his life. It's a psalm, as we note, that opens and closes with the same verse. Psalm, uh, the verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's like, almost like quotation marks. This is what it's all about. The love, the enduring love of God. And as we read from Ezra, and as we noted there in Ezra chapter 3, as the people came back from captivity, and even the foundation stone of the temple was laid, their love for God was expressed. Why? Because, as we read, David had appointed that these words be sung. And the the quotation, or the words in Ezra 3, are from this psalm. And it is perhaps true that they they sang the whole of the psalm, though Ezra only quotes the one verse. But David had given it. We read there in verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And they did that because it was directed by David. And we are directed in the same way for the use of this psalm. It is likely that David directed it be used on great occasions at the temple, among other times. And how fitting it is that as we draw together to worship God, we use the words of God from a psalm like this. A psalm that does focus our attention on God's love. I've broken it up into six portions. Uh, That means we may not deal with every line, but uh, we're thinking about the love of God really throughout this psalm. begins with praise for the love of God. And then there is uh, the presence of God's love. And then there is experience of God's love, joy of God's love, response to God's love, and at the very end, walking in the love of God. And so here is a psalm in thanksgiving and praise to God for love. And we want to begin by thinking of these opening verses 1 to 4 about the praise for his love. And we could do little else because there is a repetition in these four verses. You'll see it very plainly. His love endures forever. That is driven home in each of these first four verses. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And that is, goes on as he calls both Israel and then the house of Aaron and those who fear the Lord all to speak, to talk about this enduring love of God. We could stop at the very first verse because there the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then he goes on to speak about his love. And to think about God's goodness as as something that we would do well to do because he is good. You and I have reaped the benefits of God and his goodness again and again and again. As Christians, we know that our sin, having come before God the Lord in repentance, is forgiven. God is good and he forgives our sin. And we look to God and we acknowledge him and we find him full of goodness and mercy. We find that that is an immeasurable aspect of his goodness. But he is good in so many other ways. He is good to us in this world in the provision of food. We know that he has provided work and jobs. Therefore, through that, our salaries are so that we can go out and have homes to live in, buy the food we need, and of all the other things. And in fact, we have far more than our absolute necessities because God is good. Speaking of the goodness of God, then is something that we ought to delight to do. And then when we add to that his enduring love, how wonderful it is. Here's a God who never fails us. How you and I often can fail God. We often fall into sin. But God's love remains constant and enduring. And that is driven home. And we are called with Israel and with Aaron and with all who fear God to speak of that enduring love. Let us speak about it. Let Israel uh, say, let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say. What does that mean? It means, friends, that you and I when we have come to faith in Jesus Christ and know that his love does endure, ought to speak about it to others. What a great task God has set before us. But what a wonderful subject he has given us. When you go in and out among friends, relatives and others who have no time for God, do you speak, do you say God is a loving God and it's a love that endures. That's what the world needs to hear. They need to hear about God's love. They do need to know about their brokenness and their sin, of course, but they need to hear that when the sinner comes to God, his love will not fail them. It will endure. There are many Many broken in the world. Many full of emptiness. And the greatest need of their souls and of their lives is to hear 
of a loving, gracious God can draw near to them. Many of godless people have also and maybe begin to realize, well, there's something that we have received from God. Perhaps they have received good health, wealth, good relationships. We need to tell them that God has provided those things for them in his goodness and in his love. No wonder then we can open by saying, let us praise God for his enduring love because it is always there. Because he is the God of love. And he first loved us so that we might return love to him. Second thing in this psalm is to note in verses 5 to 9 what I'm calling the presence of God's love. Because here we see how the psalmist cries out in anguish in verse 5. In my anguish I cried to the Lord. And what does he find? He finds that God answered him. And then he's able to say in verse 6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Why? Because he knows the very presence of God's love surrounding him. God is his keeping God. Verse 7, The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. And you see, the very presence of God buoys him up and enables him to go forward with joy in his heart, knowing that God is always there, present, no matter where he goes. And in fact, that goes right through verses 8 and 9, where we have that repetition, where he speaks, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Why does he speak like that? Because he knows God's love will always be present. And he's delighting in God's love present with him. The love of a man, the ability of man, fails. Even princes with all their armory, all their wealth will fail. But the presence of the love of God never fails. Such is the understanding of the psalmist of God's great love for him, that he is dwelling in the very presence of God's love. Do you know the presence of love? As you go out on in each day, are you aware of the love of God with you? That he will hear your prayer. That when you call to him, he will answer because he is there, he is present. He is not absent in his love. Far better it is indeed to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Far better to know rest in the Lord than to fear what man might do. What can man do? What can man do to you? Very little. Yes, they might cause you some physical discomfort and inconvenience in the world and at worst they can take your life. But what if you're dwelling in the presence of God's love, what does that mean for you? It means that they issue you into the loving arms of a God and into a more deep and meaningful, blessed relationship with your Lord. His present love continues. 
in our frailty. We find it, we don't find it easy to keep these things to the fore. But every single day we need to be saying, the Lord is present in his love. It surrounds us. Wherever you go, whatever difficulties, whatever trial, whatever problem you face, the love of God is right there. And you can call upon him to help you. If you're on the mountaintop of rejoicing, if you have some great achievement, remember God's love has been with you and directed you and helped you. And he is there. So the presence of the love of God that this psalmist is very keenly aware and he's extolling God for it far better to keep our trust in the Lord. And he's able to say that because he has experienced the love of God in a very real way. In the midst of trial and difficulty. And we find that, what I'm saying in in, uh, the next section, 10 verses 10 to 14. Here is the experience of his love. He reflects on a time when he has had a real problem. He says... All the nations surrounded me. uh, The the people came around me on every side. Verse 12, they swarmed around me like bees. There was pressure upon him. He says in verse 13, I was pushed back and about to fall. His enemies were very real and he knew that unless God had been with him, he could not have survived. But note how he speaks in these verses. In verse 10, the nation surrounded him. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Verse 11, the same. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Why? Or how? Because he is experiencing God's tender, loving care for him. And the same comes through when he's pushed back and about to fall. He's at the very age. But the Lord helped me. Because God loved me. And God had been with me. And he says in verse 14, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's him experiencing the very love of God in his soul. We can, of course, attribute a great deal of many things in a general way to Jesus Christ from this psalm. Was it not true that his enemies surrounded him? Were not the people buzzing around him like bees whenever they came to crucify him on the cross? Even those who had shouted for him uh, with uh, Hosanna on the highest and glory to God as he entered Jerusalem were at the cross shouting, Crucify him! His enemies were pushing him to the very limit. Yet he rose victorious. The love of God to you and me. He won the victory. The Lord God was there. And he has become salvation to all who truly seek him. The love of God is very real. And we need to have the experience of it. Today there are enemies to the gospel all around us. 
not only the LGBT with all their vitriol against that which is true and good, but we think of the rise of Islam, we go to other countries and we see much uh, Buddhism, we see other religious practices being drafted in and mixed with all kinds of other things. And what is it but an attack on our God? Have you experienced God's true love in Jesus Christ? Because that's the only way to deal with the attack of the enemy. To know and experience Jesus as Lord. To know that through him is victory because he has loved you. Not only does the psalmist speak about the experience of this love in the face of the enemy, but you, when you're attacked by Satan, should experience this. And know that but for his love you would have fallen. If you claim to be a Christian, can you look at times in your lives when the enemies were all there? When temptation was very real and you were being pushed? And as the psalmist says, I was about to fall, but the Lord helped me. I know I can say that. There are times whenever we're about to fall, but God intervened, gave strength. His love was there, and I experienced the blessing of loving care and kindness. What a delight to the soul to know and experience the love of God. Have you experienced God's love through faith in Jesus Christ? For without him, you'll never know the love of God. People can think that they will get into God's presence by doing so many good works, by attending to various ceremonies or whatever. But they'll never experience the true love of God in their souls until they bow before him, repent of their sin, and embrace Jesus Christ fully and completely as Lord. That's the only way to have this experience, because it is in Christ that Satan is pushed back. Christ has dealt with the enemy. Christ indeed is our salvation and our strength. And we should be able to sing this with the psalmist, Only whenever we come to Jesus, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Mine. And I know the love of God and have experienced it in Jesus. But then that leads the psalmist on to the fourth matter we want to see in these verses. And that is the joy in God's love. And I've already spoken a bit to the younger children about the shouts of joy and victory. How do we, if you know God's love in your soul, surely it ought to be with a shout of joy that you come before him to praise his name. What mighty things has the Lord done? Well, there's nothing greater, nothing mightier, nothing more special than that he sent his son to die for you. And that Jesus Christ suffered and rose again for your sin, that you might be forgiven. Here the psalmist even thinks about 
the chastisement of God being received. And that is a joy to him. Why? Listen to what he says. He says that the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high and he has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. That's his joy. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. He says, God's hand has come upon me, but that's my joy, because he has shown me my fault and not given me to death, but rather brought me to life. And that's the joy that comes to the Christian. That even the disciplining action of God, we come with deep joy knowing it's all for our good. It's for the glory of his name. It's not easy being disciplined. And it's usually only after we look back on the event and see how it has done us good that we can appreciate it. Certainly when we're growing up as children and our parents disciplined us, didn't seem very good at the time, but later on in life we look back and we thank God for them and for their words and their discipline. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I rejoice that my Father in heaven loves me enough to chastise me and not to hand me over to death, but to bring me actually to life. His right hand, his power is upon me. So he says, speaks of those things in verse 16. The right hand, the right hand of the Lord has done mighty things. That's his joy. And he is looking ultimately forwards to the salvation that will be brought by the Messiah. You and I can look to what God has done in Jesus. What deep joy there ought to be in that love for your soul. No greater thing, no greater love than that God should give up His Son for His enemies, for sinners. No wonder we can cast all our care upon Him. His love should bring joy to our souls. For we will not see death. He doesn't hand us over to judgment, but preserves us for his glory and brings us into his presence. Then, fifthly, we want to note a response to God's love. And we see this as he comes then, and I believe this is really a further aspect of his worship. What does he say? Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. God, you have loved me. I have been in the presence of your love. I have experienced this love. It rejoices my heart. Let me open in through the gates that I might enter into your very presence and give thanks to you. In other words, he's saying, let me respond to your love with deep, heartfelt worship. The gate is the entrance into God's presence through the Messiah who was to come, through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
words like this might remind us of John Bunyan's Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. He entered in at the wicked gate, narrow gate. It was a gate that wasn't that easy to find in way. It wasn't in the broad road, but the narrow road that went on from there. But as Christian entered in, the bundle of his sin, the burden fell away. And he entered on in his walk with God. He, Jesus Christ, is the gate to true worship and fellowship with God and to giving thanks to the Lord. We can come and delight in Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone that the builders might have rejected. But then they came upon that stone. What a precious stone. The very one they were looking for to be the chief cornerstone from which every other stone in the temple took its place. Whenever they laid that foundation stone in Ezra's day and were rebuilding the temple, that's why there was joy. They found a cornerstone and they knew that from there the temple could be built. We use this sometimes in our communion for he is the cornerstone. And the Lord has done it. What has he done? He has set Jesus up as the only Messiah. And when did he do it? In that day of crucifixion and resurrection that he might be our Lord. How have you responded to God's great love? Do you come with joy? Do you delight to enter into his presence and say, I will enter and give thanks to the Lord with God's people? The day has come for us to worship the Lord, to delight in him our ways. And surely it's fitting that we worship together as his people. If we have responded as we should to the love of God, then the place of worship should never be neglected. Because we should delight to come to hear the word, to learn more of our God, but also to praise him, to reflect and rejoice and give thanks for his name. If you confess that God has loved you in sending Jesus Christ for your sin, what is the priority in your life? Is he Lord of all? Is he the one to whom you give everything? Are all your other aspects of life teed off from Christ as the Lord and ruler? Because they ought to be if you love him as he has loved you. Is Christ and the kingdom of God and the work of the church the thing that carries weight Is that a priority? Because you love him and you have to respond by worship and by doing what you can for him. Might make use of a human, an illustration from a human relationship. When a younger person falls in love, the devotion to that person becomes a real priority. Everything that they do begins to 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 take a, a way towards how can I please that person? How can I spend time with that person? How can I help them? How can we together move forward? 
and much thought and priority is given to it. If that's true in a human relationship, how much more should it not be true when we call upon the name of the Lord? Surely when we read verses 25 to 27, we see something of how we should come to the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession to the horns of the altar. In other words, the Lord has brought light to our souls. And we can do nothing else but respond by coming in his love to the very altar where he's worshipped. We don't have an altar as such, but we speak of that in terms of the Old Testament. Where did they go? into the temple, to the altar, where the sacrifice was offered. Thus we come together to remember Christ and his suffering on the cross each Lord's day, his resurrection from the dead, because he is God's love to us. And it's our delight and joy, should be, to worship him in the Lord's house. And we shouldn't neglect it. Here's this love, the psalmist responding, entering in by the gate to worship, to delight in what the Lord has done, and to give thanks for his name, and that he has shone a light into his soul. Blessed, he says, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then we conclude this portion as we look at the last Two verses. What is the psalmist saying? He says, You are my God, and I will give thanks. You are my God, and I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And really, what he's saying is that with all the reflection on the love of God, I will go forward into the days to come and walk in that love. I will let that be the defining thing. I will give thanks to him. I will let his love direct me and lead me and guide me. I will exalt the Lord in the days to come. And I will do that by living for him. How better can we exalt and extol our God but by showing in our daily attitude and lives that he means everything to us. That we will exalt him in our words, in our actions, and in the way we do things together. Of course, we can only strive by the power and help of the Holy Spirit to walk in the light of his love every single day and every moment of the day. But that should be something we would desire to do and say to God we will seek to do to the glory of his name. Why? Because his love endures forever. What a great psalm of praise we have been given here. Focusing our attention on the love of God. The psalmist gives praise to God for that love. He knows that he has had the very presence of God's love with him. He has experienced that even as the enemies have come around him. It has led him to joy 
to worship God and give thanks to God and ultimately to say, you are my God and I will give thanks. You are my God, I will extol you. My whole life will be to your glory. Friends, that's how Jesus Christ lived and it's the example of how you and I are to live. And so he ends as he began. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen.